0: In the very first chapter of Joshua, Moses is no longer there to lead them. And now there's a rookie in charge. Someone who's way too young to know what they're doing. And Joshua is told, this is how you lead the people, Joshua. Be strong, be courageous, and meditate on God's word. Don't let it leave the lips of your mouth. You've seen what God has done. You know what he's capable of. Be strong and be courageous. This morning, Brian is coming up to bring the the message, and I am so excited. It was not that long ago that I was the, the Miller student who was bringing one of my first sermons before the church family, and it was terrifying. But God's word is powerful and effective, and it is the authority that we lean on and trust. And I'm so excited for you to teach us about the value of a biblical teaching and preaching in God's word. So Lord, prepare our hearts for what Brian has to say. Go ahead. Thank you. Thank you, Pastor
1: Darren. Yeah, for those of you who don't know me, uh, my name is Brian. I am a third year student at Miller College of the Bible. And yeah, this morning, as Pastor Darren mentioned, we're gonna be going through Continuing in our Healthy healthy Church, Biblical Church series, looking at the value of, of Scripture in that concept. So, to begin, I'd just like to ask this question. What is your foundation? What is the foundation of this church? As we've been going through this Healthy Church, Biblical Church series, we've been using Matthew 22, verses 37 to 39, And Matthew 28, 18 to 20, as theme texts for this series. As many of you know, the passage in Matthew 22 is where Jesus tells us what the greatest commandment is. It's where he's questioned, teacher, what is the greatest commandment? And he tells them, it is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And he says the second is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. And the passage in Matthew 28 is Jesus' commission where he tells his disciples to go and to make more disciples of all the nations baptizing them in the name uh, in his name teaching them to observe everything that he has commanded them and he ends this commission telling them that he will be with them forever to the end of the age so this week as we look at this need for biblical teaching and preaching in the church, for it to be healthy. I very creatively pushed my limits and titled this sermon, Why Does a Healthy Church Need Biblical Teaching and Preaching? But back when we started this this series, Pastor Don mentioned, he said that a healthy church is a biblical church, and a biblical church is a healthy church. To have a healthy church, its foundation must be the word of God. It must be founded on Christ and his word. Without a solid foundation, the church itself can be blown any which way that the culture around it may turn it, and it can quickly become sick. So as we look into this a bit more, we're going to be looking at 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 4, verse 14 to chapter 4, verse 5, if you'd like to turn there. So just a bit of background on uh, the book of Timothy. Second Timothy is the second letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to Timothy while he was imprisoned in Rome. The letter was sent to encourage and guide Timothy as he led the church at Ephesus, exhorting him to remain strong and faithful in his ministry through difficult times, and though there may be influence, of false teachers. In this letter, Paul instructs Timothy in many different aspects of what is needed for a healthy church and a healthy ministry in that church. So with this in mind, of instruction in staying strong in faith and the ministry in the face of opposition and false teaching, let us look at 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 14 to chapter 4, verse 5. Oh, I'm in 1 Timothy. That's not right. <laughs> but you must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction and righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. I charge you, therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead, at his appearing and his kingdom. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and teaching. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers, and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. But you be watchful in all things, endure afflictions, Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. So starting in verses 14 and 15 of chapter 3, Paul is encouraging Timothy to continue in what he received from a young age, to stand firm in what he had been taught. Because Timothy had grown up and been taught the word from a young age by his mother and his grandmother, then later by Paul, he knew God's commands and he believed them. In the beginning of chapter 3, Paul is warning Timothy to stand firm against the influence of false teachers that had been creeping into the church and warning him how they corrupt the church. Paul reassures Timothy that what he received and what he was taught is trustworthy and true, and that he ought to continue in it, not be swayed away from what he knows is true, Even if we peek back just one verse, in verse 13, Paul has just told Timothy that evil men will deceive and continue being deceived, and that this process will just continually become worse as time passes. Paul is encouraging Timothy not to let this sway him or discourage him, but to continue in the faith, striving forward to what lies ahead. In verse 15, he writes, that from childhood you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. Reminding Timothy of the importance of scripture, that it is what grants wisdom for salvation. To those that put faith in Christ, though though false teachers will come in the name of Christ, they will say that they have this new and great way that you can be saved. Paul reminds Timothy that it is only through the scriptures that wisdom can be granted for salvation and that it is only through faith in Christ that one can actually be saved. Now, since at this time, uh, the New Testament, which we have, which teaches us about Christ, had not yet been established, the Scriptures here Paul is exhorting Timothy to look back to is what we have as the Old Testament, and he's exhorting Timothy to rely on what he was taught by Paul and others of the testimony of Christ but now we also have the New Testament, which teaches us about Christ, so that we can know what he has said and commanded. So then, moving on to verse 16, where it says, all scripture is given by inspiration of God. In the first half there. Having reminded Timothy of what he was taught, Paul then makes a defense of the scriptures. He explains, he he then, and explains how it makes one wise for salvation. It seems that in the Ephesians church, there were some that were causing, trying to cause Timothy to doubt the word of God, challenging him, possibly even saying things like, did God actually say that? Did Christ actually teach this? Now, does that sound familiar? It's not something, it, it is something that we hear quite often in our culture today. People test our confidence in the Word of God, saying things like, God is a God of love, so he must not have actually said, Jesus is the only way to heaven. Or add any number of things that our current culture challenges the Word of God on. Whether Whether it's what our identity is, whether it is attraction of someone to the same gender, whether it's love of money, abortion, all these things, you can fill in the blank. It could be anything that we as humans feel we are entitled to, that is not godly, and we will challenge God's word on it. But this is not a new challenge. It's not something that God has not seen before and is not ready for. If we look back to Genesis in the beginning, we read about the first instance of this little seed of doubt. Just after God had created the world, and he had created Adam and Eve, he had placed them in the Garden of Eden, this perfect paradise, He had given them everything that they could have wanted. He told them they could eat of every tree of the garden except one, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He said that if they ate of that tree, they would die. Everything else was theirs to have except one thing. They could have dominion over everything, but that one thing was God's. They could not have it. When we read in Genesis 3, in verse 1, about Satan coming into the garden and tempting Eve, And he says, has God indeed said, you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? Satan questions the word of God. And then he persuades Eve that God is keeping something good from her and Adam by keeping them away from this tree. And then in casting doubt in her mind about the character of God, Satan tempted Adam and Eve and caused them to disobey God, transgress. And this is where we see sin entering the world. So this is not a new challenge against God's word. It is not a new concept, but something Paul here in 2 Timothy is warning Timothy to be on guard against, and it's something that we, today, still need to stand firm against. People will come and say, did God actually say this? And we always have to turn back to His word to know, yes, He did say it. Satan loves to cast doubt about the reliability of God's word to creep in and erode our confidence in what is true, for then we are in his hand and he can turn us any way he desires. Paul reminds Timothy that scripture truly is God's word and it is still very relevant, that all of scripture is given by God, inspired by his spirit. Thus, we can have confidence in it. We can turn to it knowing that it is what he has said. It is as trustworthy as the God who dictated its writing. So when we are wondering, we can turn to it. If we're not sure if he said it, in fact, we need to turn back to it so that we do not get caught in that hand of Satan. Looking at the second half of verse 16, Paul goes on to describe what the Bible is profitable for in four different ways. But before we look at that, just a brief disclaimer. All of what we're looking at here that Paul is saying the Scripture is profitable for, it is all done by the power of the Holy Spirit. Without the Spirit at work, none of what we're about to discuss is possible. The Spirit works through the Scriptures to accomplish what Paul is writing about here. If we don't have the Holy Spirit working, we could be reading a children's book that that means nothing. The Spirit has to open our eyes and enlighten us to what God's Word is saying. So the first word that Paul mentions that Scripture is profitable for is doctrine, or some translations will say teaching. Paul is telling Timothy that Scripture is what teaches a Christian, instructs them in what God is saying. It is what tells what the truth is. We do not find out the truth about God from within ourselves. We do not find out the truth about God from the culture around us, Truth regarding God and who he is is found first and foremost in his word. Anything that does not line up with that is not truth about God. Though Paul is referencing what we have as the Old Testament, we also have the New Testament now teaching us what Jesus said and taught, enabling us to fulfill that commission that Jesus charged his followers with in Matthew 28, to teach others to observe everything that he commanded. God's written words, tell, word tells us who he is, that he is holy, righteous, loving, gracious, merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. And God's word also teaches us who we are, that we are sinful, fallen from grace, but that we can be freed from that sin, that through faith in Jesus and repentance of sin, we can come back to him. The next word that Paul mentions is reproof, which the Greek to English lexicon of the New Testament and other early Christian literature defines as an expression of strong disapproval, reproach, or rebuke. As God's word shows us what the truth is of who he is and who we are is, it reveals that we are sinners. It brings conviction into our lives over these sins. God uses it to bring grief into our lives over our waywardness, not just to crush us, but he does this so that we might turn to him and ask for forgiveness. Though it has been said by many that this opinion of who we are and how we live is judgmental and intolerant, the word of God is really not concerned with offending our sinful nature. In fact, I would argue that that is its goal. God uses his word to rebuke the sin in our lives so that we might turn to him and have life. Romans 6.23 tells us that the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. God loves us too much to leave us in sin where we will die. He points out our sin so that through his word we might repent of our sin, turn to him, and have everlasting life. And then the third word that Paul mentions here, Correction. When we begin straying off the path of what is right, God's word corrects us, helping us make adjustments in our life so that we do not wander away from the truth. Now, something that I found helpful in understanding this whole concept was when you're driving down the road, are you ever perfectly in line with where the road is going? Can you set the cruise, let go of the steering wheel, maybe take a quick nap? and trust that the car is going to go where it needs to go? No. (laughs) We all know how that's going to end. You have to keep your hands on the steering wheel. Otherwise, you end up in the ditch. Cars drift back and forth on the road. They're never really going perfectly in the correct direction. The wind blows them around, we bump the steering wheel, we put our sunglasses on and end up in the other lane, but we're always having to make these adjustments so that we're not in the ditch. We have to stay on the right path, or we find ourselves in a smoking wreck on the side of the road. This is what Paul is saying God's word does in our lives. Just as we see when we're driving, we need to make adjustments to stay on the road. God's word shows us what in our lives needs to be corrected to be restored to the right path. In the Christian life, if we're being honest with ourselves, we're rarely, if ever, headed perfectly in the right direction. We're headed in a general direction, but the influences of an unsaved world push us around. Sin in our own lives causes us to stray. The devil tempts us, but God is faithful and is constantly correcting us, bringing us back to him through his word. In his word, we see the truth of where we need to go. When we stray off that path, he rebukes us and corrects us, guiding us back to that straight and narrow way. That leads us to the kingdom of heaven. Now, in studying and looking through this passage, this was actually, I was quite blown away by this, just thinking about this more. Because through God's word, he first teaches us the truth, the doctrine, then in understanding this word, the wickedness, the sin in our lives, he rebukes it through his word. Then in coming to this word correction, we see God is not just looking to chide us like some grumpy old school teacher, but uses his word to straighten us out, to put us on the right path, to bring us out of our wickedness, which results in the ditch of death, and correct us, bringing us back on track, restoring us to life with him. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Then this fourth thing that Paul mentions of what his, God's word is profitable for, for instruction in righteousness. Having shown us what is good and what is not, convicted us of what is not good in our lives, and corrected us, God's, God uses His Word to train us in righteousness. It is not enough for the God of the universe to simply point out sin, reprove, and correct. He desires us to grow, to continue growing in that. He desires for us to be focused on Him stay driving towards him in knowing his word and being led by it. He shows his people, his church, how to overcome the things that are thrown at it, to grow past what previously caused it to stray. Just like when we begin driving, we're swerving all over the place, we hit the brakes and smack our head on the steering wheel. If we started driving with a manual transmission, smoothing, your shifting probably wasn't very smooth. But as we drive more, We learn how to stay on the road better and drive better. Similarly, when the church is being taught and building its foundation on God's word, being led by His Spirit, it grows in maturity and faith if it holds firm to that word and it learns how to stay better on the road to righteousness. God's word does not simply stop at conviction. Through it, He seeks to make changes in His church to bring his people back to what is right when they stray. Out of his love for us, he gave us his word, so that in hearing and understanding it, we can receive a foundation of truth that rebukes us, restores us, and trains us in righteousness, so that we are less likely to stray into that shame and guilt of sin. Psalm 119 verse 105 reads that God's word, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. If we do not have this as our foundation guiding us along the road, we will not know where we are going. In verse 17, Paul says, Paul says that God's word does all this so that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. God builds his people up, his church, making us complete through his word so that we may be ready For every good work which he calls us to, God supplies what we need to serve him through his word. It is sufficient to give us what we need. We do not need to add anything to it or alongside it to accomplish what God calls us to. It is enough. So, if we as a church desire to continue on this path that God has set before us, to be equipped to serve him as he desires. It must always be rooted in his word. Not the newest flashy thing we may see that will be like, oh, that'll draw people in, that'll, that'll call them forward. No, it must be in his word. Coming into chapter four, Paul writes, I charge you therefore before God and the, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing, and his kingdom. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and teaching. Paul begins this section with a therefore, telling us that what he is saying now is on account of what he has just said. Because of all that God's word does for us, for all that is profitable for, Paul charges Timothy not to stray from the word, but to preach it, not to preach something that is comfortable or something that is appealing to, a world, to the world, but to only preach the word of God. To add emphasis to this, Paul charges Timothy to do this before God, reminding him that at the end, it is ultimately Christ who will judge everyone who he returns. When, while people were able to evaluate Timothy's preaching when he was here on earth, It is Christ who will ultimately have the final evaluation of the faithfulness of what the ministers of his word have said. All service to Christ is done under his watch and must be treated as such. For any who do not teach according to the word of God are accountable to God himself. Therefore, Paul tells Timothy to always be ready to proclaim to others what God has said whether it's in a season when preaching is something people are longing for, it's what they want to hear, whether they want the truth, or if it's in a season where he may be martyred for his faith and for proclaiming God's truth to the world. Paul urges Timothy to strive forward so people may hear the truth, have that error in their lives refuted, be corrected, be instructed in righteousness so that they too can be equipped for every good work God calls them to. Now, in finishing our section in 2 Timothy, in verses 3 and 4, Paul writes, For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers, and they will turn their ears away from the truth, and be turned aside to fables. But you be watchful in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. Paul warns Timothy that the time is coming when people will not heed the truth. They will not listen to sound instruction. Instead, they will turn aside to what they desire, seeking teachers who will tell them what they want to hear, not what the truth is. Is This not what we see in our world so common today. Being tired of the truth, people reject it, seeking after things that will gratify their own desires. Again, this is nothing new. Every generation experiences this to some degree. In our human nature, we do not desire to seek the truth of God. We seek those who will com- who will- We don't seek those who will confront us in our sin, but we seek those who will affirm us in it in what- and in what we are doing. This is our natural state if the Holy Spirit is not at work in our lives. Therefore, Paul urges Timothy to be careful in everything, to endure when those hard seasons come to continue in his work, to do the work of an evangelist, telling, him, telling those who don't know Christ who he is, so that they may repent of their sin and receive the free gift of God, which is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, looking at Matthew 7 a bit, at the end of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is teaching, and he says, starting in verse 13, Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go in by it, because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life, and there are few who will find it. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or from figs and thistles? or figs from thistles, even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Therefore, by their fruits you will know them. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven, Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, have we not cast out demons in your name? Have we not prophesied in your name? Have we not done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on a rock, and the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine, and does not do them, will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand, and the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and great was its fall. Jesus teaches that his words are like a rock and that those who heed them and keep firm on them, they will stand in the fiercest storm. So let us press on to be like that wise man who built his house on the rock, not listening to those false prophets who will come, but standing firm on God's truth. Let us not shy away from the from the truth of Scripture, from its rebuke, from its correction, from its training, though they can often be hard. But let us press on to stay on that narrow path that leads to heaven. We see the importance of Scripture, God's word, that it is what gives us wisdom for salvation. How? By teaching us what is true, by rebuking what is untrue in our lives, by correcting us and putting us back on the path Of righteousness, and by training us in that righteousness so that as we continue growing we stray less and less, all combined so that we are ready to do every good work that God sets before us. Let us not be caught in our own desires or the desires of the world, for those will lead us off the road to that ditch where we will find ourselves in a burning wreck. This is why we must stand firm as a church on the truth of God's word, or we will find ourselves as a church in that ditch. Let us stand firm, and as Jesus charged his followers to go and make disciples, teaching them to do all that he commanded, let us hold fa- first to his, hold fast to his commands so that we can teach others and be effective disciples of Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for giving it to us so that we can know what you have told us. Lord, help us never to stray from it. The desires of this world can be so enticing, but help us to stand firm on what you have given us so that we do not get pulled aside. I thank you for this church, Lord. I thank you for the faithfulness that it has held to your word and how it has done that for many years. I pray that you would, through the coming years, help us to continue to hold fast. I thank you for Pastor Don and for Pastor Darren and their faithfulness and dedication to teaching your word. Give them strength and endurance as they continue in this. We ask this in your name. Amen.
2: As we go into our final song, I'm going to encourage you, if you can stand, to do so as we kind of wrap things up this morning.
0: ready to be dismissed from this place, I want to let you know that Gene Anderson passed away, and there will be a funeral on the Monday coming up in over a week from now. So there will be more information about that coming up. So if you are friends with uh, the Anderson family, take this opportunity this week to reach out and encourage them, and if you don't know them, be praying for them. Because everyone who's a part of the family is a part of the family, whether you're close to them or not. And I wanna remind all the action team leaders that we're gonna be meeting together in the fellowship room, probably in five or 10 minutes from now, to talk about, yeah, what's expected of us? What do we need to do? Make our jobs clear and talk about the culture of leading in our church. The word Brian brought Spot on, standing on the promises of God. When this whole world is urging us and begging us to compromise our morals, compromise our ethics, just give in to what they want to see, we go back to what God has said. When the whole world is telling us we need to support this social cause or this cause or be supportive of this group, and we look in scripture and God says that's not the way we live, that's not it. We go back to those promises. So this week as you go from this place, be confident in this, that God's word will shape you through the Holy Spirit. So spend time in it, dig deep into it, and prepare your hearts as you spend time in God's word, and then watch as that fruit then becomes part of your life, flowing out from the Holy Spirit. So church, the Lord bless you and keep you, make his face shine upon you and give you peace. Have a great week, and God bless you. Amen.